In today's episode, Dr. Cashy talks about why we humans make it so easy to ignore rational eating in favor of the more short-term impulsive eating, what influences someone to overeat, and where some of the urges to overeat come from. The good doctor notes that what you learn to do, or more specific, what you teach yourself to do, can override even the most powerful biological urge. Roll the intro! Hello, and welcome to Coffee with Cashy. I am your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy. Today with our Fiji-flavored coffee substitute. <laughs> and today's lesson, uh, maybe, probably, maybe probably for now, wraps up this little mini course on the practicalities of genetics and other predispositions to things like overeating and fatness. Uh, in the previous lessons, you learned that, one, being a born overeater is a technical absurdity because babies are the absolute worst athletes on planet Earth. Gosh, they are bad. They are fat and slow and weak and always need to be the center of attention. And eating is about as complicated as playing sports. And that is where the neurological foundations of all that sort of stuff come into play. <laughs> okay. Uh, number two, that eating, divorced of consciousness, is actually a real thing. If you're a special subsection of parasomniacs that end up eating what appears to be close to anything, even glue and cigarettes with hot sauce while sleeping. <laughs> and three, if your genetics were that bad, then you'd be so messed up, you'd be literally dependent on other people to survive. And if that's the case, you'd better have different priorities for sure. Okay. That reminds me, tell me in the comments who you think has a more miserable life. A person with bad genetics or a person with a bad attitude? Tell me which person you think has a more miserable life. So a little bit of background here. Bringing back the original question asked at the beginning of all these lessons is that since there are many defensible reasons why, why eating rationally and for, for eating rationally and constructively, that is, and sensible ways of doing it, why do people find it so easy then to ignore them? Why do, why do they favor even at times celebrate purposeful overeating. Probably because overeating to some degree has some biological roots. So to test them out philosophically right now, run a little thought experiment. Experiments are fun. Decide if you're intelligent enough to absorb information from an external source, process that information and draw conclusions from it, use the conclusions you form to get what you want, and recall previous parts of your life to see if you've done hard stuff to get good stuff. Hmm? By the way, if you're able to make that decision, then by default, you are intelligent enough to have a verifiable history of making decisions in your best interest. On purpose, with purpose. Yay! Your genetics predispose you to be intelligent enough. <laughs> Next, decide if your body is functional enough to eat, poop, and get around by all by yourself or with modest levels of help. With modest levels of help. Some machines are cool. And if you can eat poop and get around more or less by yourself, even with the help of machines, that you can persist. That your body still persists, even with the use of medicine and even some machines. Okay? If you've answered yes to those things, then your genetics are good enough to be a reason to make you to, to give you the potential 
to have a reasonably fit per to be a reasonably fit person with a fulfilling life. <laughs> we'll rephrase that. If you've answered yes to those things and your genetics are good enough to be a reasonably fit person with a fulfilling life. This is freaking fabulous. Isn't it great? <laughs> oh, really? It is. It is. It is. Many neuroscientists, physiologists, psychologists, geneticists, biochemists, and other fancyists had, do have data showing that to some degree uh, you eat hmm? and that and thus you choose to make yourself overeat influenced at least partly by biological urges, which may or may not have genetic roots. Okay. They probably have genetic roots in this context, but that's, you know, another that's moot. All right. After examining the research data and perusing the formal and under the table opinions of experts through some interviewing, because, you know, Dr. Cashy has some friends that are experts on this stuff. It is reasonable to conclude that purposeful overeating can be, in context, a genetically rooted adap adaptive disinhibition. One more time. Purposeful overeating can be, in context, a genetically rooted adaptive disinhibition. Whew. Say that five times fast. This means that it might be activated neurally, hormonally, environmentally, or socially, but it's actuated consciously. Hmm. In plain English, this might be the last time I get to eat, so I have to eat everything I can right now. Hmm. Okay, there are so-called biopsychosocial urges to overeat and that people consciously cash in on these urges many times impulsively, sometimes rationally, but practically always consciously. Okay, assuming the, the important body structures are intact, many or most physiological scientists agree that genetics, neurology and biochemistry influence eating behaviors to some degree. Psychologists, social scientists tend to agree that they also harmonize with culture, social interactions, and your physical operating space. This also assumes the underlying philosophical understanding that although they play a role, they play a minority role. Even if that minority role is a whopping 49%, you only need 50 plus to steer the ship, <laughs> right? Because you're the CEO of Big Brand Incorporated. They play a minority role in if you eat, what you eat, and how much you eat. A minority role. Whether your body needs it, acting on it is a conscious decision. Whether your body needs it, acting on it is a conscious decision. Whether your body craves it, acting on it is a conscious decision. Whether your body must have more, acting on it is a conscious decision. Where most people think genetics, neurology, biochemistry, culture, social circles, and your physical space make the decisions for you, that is wrong. That is wrong. How? Well, if that were the case, then you'd be on par with or even inferior to the humble laboratory rat or guinea pig. You know, the beloved rodents that hundreds of thousands of scientists have tortured for the last 200 years to help us figure all this stuff out. You, with your big old brain, voluntarily choose to turn a stimulating biological, sociological, or environmental urgency into a psychological emergency, okay? One more time. People voluntarily choose to turn a stimulating, frustrating stimulus of biological, sociological, or environmental origin into a psychological 
emergency. Urgency gets turned into an emergency. Two separate things that are very easily confused in the moment, <laughs> okay? This, unless executive functioning or intelligence is permanently handicapped through other means, which can be genetically, with like Down syndrome, Fragile X syndrome, Prader-Willi syndrome, Alstrom syndrome, or Albright osteodystrophy, things of that nature, or hamstrung pharmacologically through things like alcohol, THC, uh, or various other narcotic or mind-altering drugs, um, the hard evidence that your genetics, neurology, and biochemistry have programmed overeating and fatness is at best lame. But most authorities agree that that the big empty brain is, is easily self-programmed. However, if it's programmed one way, then it can, and in TKN's case, oftentimes can be reprogrammed, all right? And many people mistakenly use the biological urges or so-called predispositions as reasons to sabotage themselves or others. Hopefully at the end of this lesson, you rationally and constructively choose another direction. You do have, people do have numerous other biological, environmental, and social urges, you have other biological, environmental, and social urges that you nearly always control, and with good reason. You naturally and biologically pick your nose, spit, pee, poop, fart, right? Many times you want to smash people's faces in or spend the night with them. But do you do any of these things with complete apathy towards the outcome? No. Seldom, okay? As a human among humans, you already respond rationally and constructively to your biologically fueled urges, and you do so every day of the week, perhaps every hour of the day. Already, you already do it. You definitely eat less than you wanna eat, fewer times than you wanna eat it, and eat one food when you want another, hmm? You already do those things. Mind frame, good, okay even if you're fatter than you want to be. <laughs> Especially if you're fatter than you want to be, you're already restraining, legitimately restraining, okay? Even the most morbidly obese people have measurable levels of restraint. They want more, more often, and eat one thing when they crave another. They squelch at least some of it. You probably keep your mouth shut during the many of the times where you'd rather have it open. <laughs> you wear clothes even if you're hot. Do you start a fire every time you're cold? Hmm? This light right up in the middle of the office? Set a fire? Hmm? You go to bed even if you want to stay up? You have a job even when you'd rather fiddle fart around? Hmm? And what's more, in many of these circumstances, you feel pleased with yourself and sufficiently rewarded in overcoming these relative annoyances. As will you better. As will you better. Frustrations are frustrating. And overcoming those frustrations under many circumstances is rewarding and it's reinforcing. This is the difference between a negative outlook and a positive outlook, even if the result is the same. A type 1 diabetic can be, can be royally PO'd that they only get to eat a couple of pieces of candy because eating the entire bag, which they feel they must do to be satisfied, might send them to the hospital or would send them to the hospital. Or they can be happy and proud that they had a few pieces and therefore will live to have a few pieces more. Hmm. There are even more extreme circumstances of restricting biological urges in the form of nonviolent protesting where people set themselves on fire or starve themselves to death. 
This is how strong the power of choice is, independent of biological urges, genetic predisposition, or otherwise. Hmm? These are strong cases, quite strong, of having a biological urge one way and acting another, okay? And choosing to do something else. This is obviously the most extreme circumstance, and that is the point, that is the irony. It is the extreme power of choice, and how even under the most extreme circumstances, it is still stronger than a biological urge. Hmm? Even a biological urge as strong as staying alive. The power of choice is stronger. It really is. Plainly, what those factors do influence, though, in the functional and aware human, right, the, the neurology and the biochemistry and the genetics and all that stuff, what it does influence in the functional aware and aware human is how apparently annoying it is to make and act on decisions that are in your best interest. That is the apparent annoyance discrepancy between doing the hard stuff to get the good stuff instead of the easy stuff to get the cheesy stuff. <laughs> Restated, genetics, neurology, biochemistry, culture, and social circles and your operating space, they influence your decisions such that they are apparently more annoying or less annoying rather than if you make a decision at all, what decision you make, and if you decide to keep at it or give up on it. For if you make the decision once and you cash in on your urgency for a rationally constructive response, at R, because of a frustrating stimulus blocking you from what you want, at S, okay, such as cravings, social pressures, or often previously sabotaging outcomes, at O, it means that you'd better keep making that decision over and over so that you can rationally and constructively overcome life's annoyances at your outcome which means you build up a greater tolerance to the frustrating stimuli at S, even if, especially if, those annoyances, excuse me, if those annoyances are from those pesky but manageable biological, sociological, environmental urges. This is what Dr. Cashy means when he says violence is the answer. It is rational and constructive persistence. It is a skill you can master, and this means that doing smarter stuff at R because one, you think of smarter stuff first. Two, it feels better to think of smarter stuff. And three, so your urges to do smarter stuff are stronger and happen more often. This means that doing smarter stuff, even in the presence of pesky but manageable biological urges, becomes more and more automated. Quotations here on purpose. You effectively increase the impulsivity of smarter decisions. This means that the space between us and R, the space between stimulus and response, it shrinks for the smarter stuff. You do it faster and easier. And it grows for the dumber stuff, giving you more time to think about it and choose if you want to act on it or not, and if you do act on it. By inferential chaining, this means that as your tolerance to frustrating biological stimuli at S improves, you have an easier time making rational and constructive decisions so that you can solve your life's problems, which means you can get what you want and stay out of your own way. <laughs> that the more rational and constructive you are in the face of frustrations, especially if they are biological, sociological, or environmental, the more convenient your life becomes. And the more convenient your life becomes, the fewer frustrations you have and getting what you want becomes faster and easier. This is the lifeblood of the SRO model. <laughs> People People hold on to their beliefs because they are oblivious, for now, of superior alternatives. 
You have more than the grim choices of half-assedly accepting your misery and sabotaging yourself, or tantruming against your misery and acting foolishly, sabotaging yourself. At TKN, we seek a third path, one that exists between giving up and fighting to the death. Instead, we advocate a more rational and constructive approach to learn stuff and do things, to take those things to learn more stuff, and to take that stuff and do better things. A bad attitude handicaps you more than bad genetics ever could. Thank you for learning with me today. You're awesome. Until next time. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out! <laughs>